tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed, and a world-governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Aaron, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Are you ready to get your mind blown? And... Okay, do it again. <laughs> Three, two, go. Good morning, Swarm, and welcome to Tim Fall Hat. You know I am. You know I'm here to do. I'm here to rock. Guys, uh, join me as always, my partner in crime, uh, Xavier Guerrero. What's up? And on the ones and twos, the man, the myth, the legend, Johnny Woodard. Is it a myth, or am I just uh, really that fabulous? You re- it is a myth. Trust me, it is a myth. Guys, this is a very special episode that I want to get into, but if you want to see me live, uh, I'm going to be in Minneapolis, May 27th through the 29th at the House of Comedy in Minneapolis. My good friend Yoshi will be there. Then I will be in Miami. I am doing one show, possibly two. I'm working on a second show, but I will be doing Shitcoin on June 3rd in Miami. Shitcoin 2021. Super excited about that. And then the week after that, it's Tinfoil Hat Comedy is back in the saddle. Uh, Eddie Bravo, Xavier Guerrero, Reed Becker, myself, four shows at the Secret Group in Houston. First show is a stand-up comedy show. And then the second one is Swarm Tank, okay? Swarm Tank. That's where you're going to come and pitch your conspiracies to us. And we're going to give you our feelings on whatever you want to talk about. It is your hour and a half to shine. So come join us. Please grab all tickets at samtriplee.com. New t-shirt alert. That's right. New t-shirt alert. Go to tinfoilhattshirts.com. Check out the new shirt. Opiate of the asses. It's my new shirt that's available. Plus all the wonderful ones. Local celebrity. Uh, the Unabomber was right. Go on. And more and more and more. There's all these wonderful, wonderful t-shirts. Great way to support the show. Uh, we have premium content here on this show. Right? We have premium content. We have, uh, let's see, Tim Volhat Premium is there. My uh, All of this available on Rockfin, R-O-K-F, okay, R-O-K-F-I-N dot com, okay? All of the my premium content's there, whether it's Tim Volhat Premium, uh, Zero, my spiritual podcast, my sports podcast, the uh, the grace of all time. We have Xavier Guerrero's. Uh, we don't smoke the same as on right. there. Uh, we have broken simulation sneak preview. Early looks are on there, and uh, for ten dollars you get all those. Okay, which basically breaks down to two dollars a show a month. And you get everybody else's show. Abby Martin, Abby Martin, Whitney Webb, Jimmy Dore, Graham Elwood, uh, the Propaganda Report. Everybody on the Union Unwanted is on there. Go to Rockfin, all that for $10. Go check it out. It's a great way to support the show. So, so a couple things are going on. Occasionally I'll do a show 
or in the premium content that I think is so important that I want to get it out to the masses. And this is one of these episodes, okay? I had Dr. Andrew Wakefield on, and he is one of the first doctors to basically signal the horns that there's something going on with vaccines uh, is one of the greatest conversations I've ever had. And I'm honored. It was a daily dose I did on Rockfin, but now I want to release to the masses and I want you guys to check it out. Uh, This guy sacrificed everything in his life to get out the word about how dangerous vaccines could be. He lost everything and he's, he's truly a saint, man. And it's, it was an honor to talk to him. And this is probably one of the best conversations I've ever had. So please enjoy uh, this conversation I had with Dr. Andrew Wakefield. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm very excited about having our next guest on. He is a uh, independent researcher. He's a filmmaker, and uh, he's here to talk to us about the uh, the history and just about the history of the pharmaceutical industry. I'm very excited to have him on. Please welcome Dr. Andrew Wakefield. Andy, how are you? Sam, I'm great. Thanks very much for having me on. Great pleasure to be with you. It's an honor and it's a privilege. Thank you so much. For our guests, uh, our listeners who may not be familiar with you, could you uh, tell us a little bit about you and your background? Absolutely. And it's very unlikely your your <laughs> listeners will know anything about me. So here goes. Obviously, I'm not from, I'm, I'm British and I live. Uh, at the moment, I, I live on a, a sailboat. I'm down in the Florida Keys. Uh, it wasn't always that way. Uh, I graduated in medicine in London in 1981, long time ago. And I was entirely mainstream. I was one of the sixth generation of my family to graduate from St. Mary's Hospital Medical School, where penicillin was discovered, among other things. And I was mainstream. I trained as a surgeon, and I I ran a big research team at a a hospital called the Royal Free Hospital in London, big university teaching hospital. And my interests were Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And then in May of 2000, uh, sorry, 1995, I got a call from my mother who said, Doctor, my child was absolutely fine until he had a vaccine, his measles, mumps, rubella, MMR vaccine. And then he disappeared. He had speech language. He was thriving. He was doing well. He was healthy. He was perfectly normal. I'm not anti-vaccine. I took my kid to be vaccinated on time. And he disappeared. The lights in his eyes went out. He had a seizure. When he woke up, he was never the same again. He didn't socialize. He didn't interact with his sibling. He'd lost all the words he'd gained. And ultimately, he was diagnosed with autism. And I said, How, I, I got to stop you. I'm a gastroenterologist. When I was at medical school, autism was so rare, we weren't even taught about it. So how can I possibly help? She said, the reason I'm calling you, doctor, is that my child has terrible gastrointestinal problems, pain, bloating, failure to thrive, diarrhea. And the doctors just say, oh, that's part of autism. Put him in a home, forget about him, have another baby. I mean, it was astonishing. It was a real confrontation with medicine in a sort of Neanderthal. It was terrible. It was awful. And I thought, this cannot be right. What this mother is telling me needs to be investigated. That's the way I was trained in medicine. You put the patient above all other considerations. You invest in their story to get to the bottom of what's wrong with them or their child. And so I put together a a very prominent, eminent research team. 
and we investigated these children and the mother was absolutely right. The child had an inflammatory bowel disease. And she said, doctor, there's an epidemic of this particular problem. And I started getting a flood of calls and we treated this child as we would treat, let's say Crohn's inflammation. And uh, not only did the bowel symptoms get better, the diarrhea, the, ch the child started thriving and growing and eating, but the autism got better as well. And that was fascinating. The child started using words they hadn't used for five years. I mean, it was extraordinary. And so we thought as academics, that didn't happen. So we did it 183 times and 183 children. It happened virtually every time. And so at that stage, we just said, wow, this is, this is real. And we, I, I felt I had to take the parents' story about vaccine very, very seriously. My colleagues didn't want to do it. They said to me, Andy, as pediatricians, we cannot be seen to question the safety of MMR vaccine. Well, that didn't make any sense to me at all. That wasn't science. That wasn't good medicine. That was about respectability. That was vanity. That was what will my colleagues think of me if I question vaccine safety? That, I, you know, um, that made me very angry. And I decided that I would investigate this. And, and that's what I did. And the dean of the medical school said to me, if you pursue this vaccine safety research, it is not going to be good for your career. There was a thinly veiled threat, and he was absolutely right. And when you offend the pharmaceutical industry, when you offend government policy as well in this case, you're taking on these huge, huge interests. And there was me. <laughs> and then there was the World Health Organization and the government and the drug companies and the CDC and the, uh, and the American Academy of Pediatrics. And, the, and I, it was boom. And they, they got Rupert Murdoch, got his son onto the board of GlaxoSmithKline uh, as an executive uh, director. And his job was to come after me, and he did. And that was the end of my medical career and I moved to America in political and professional exile. They called me everything. They said I committed fraud, that I cheated, that I lied. Brother, I mean the usual. Yeah, brother, I gotta be honest with you, man. I owe you a giant apology. When I when I came on with you, I had in place who you were and now I know who you are. And man, I'm honored to talk to you, man. I'm really honored to I kind of want to cry. Because, you know, when I put your name into the Google, because I'm like, hold on, I know who this dude is. And I see, and like what they're saying about you on Google is so upsetting to me because I know what you've done, dude. And I like, I can't tell you how much I respect you, man. And like what you've done and like your fight. And it's like, what you represent is like what people think doctors really are. And, and what you fought is like what, what the medical community really is. And that to me is insanity. Like, and the slander that you're getting when you put in the Google is just unbelievable to me, man. It's unbelievable to me. And I have children, man. And I, you know, and just the way when my babies were born, they wanted to hit my daughters with a hep B uh, uh, vaccination, which is like a party drug vaccine, like disease for people who are in the like adult party scenes. And it's just like, why? And so I go to my pediatrician. I go, why are we hitting these, my, these tiny little people who are just taking their first breath with a vaccine that people, mostly men who do drugs, whether it's crystal meth, 
uh, cocaine, poppers, and all that stuff. They get a disease they get. Why is that? And she had no answer for it, man. So when I hear what you've gone through, because I've seen movies and stories on it, man, my heart feels for you. And I'm so thankful that you're on the show. And I owe you a giant apology for not, not realizing it at first. So thank you for coming on. I'm very thankful, Mark. Mark booked you. Um, I wish everybody could hear your story, man, because it is not easy to go through what you went through, uh, to go through this. And like, I'm dude, to even have any kind of comparison to what you're going through and what I go through is just disrespectful. And I'm not meaning to be, but it's like, I kind of am someone who is in the truth community as well. And I've been somewhat excommunicated from my fellow comedians in Los Angeles. Like I, I don't get invited to anything anymore. They don't, they, I, they don't want to allow Rudolph to play in their reindeer games. So I am like, I, even though it's not even close what you're going through and I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful like that, but I, I can understand what you, what you are going through. And that's what people don't understand. It's like, it's like whenever they always cite studies all the time. And I, and my question is like, Oh, trust the science. I go, okay, we can trust the science if you want. I don't trust the scientists. And that doesn't mean they're bad people. But it's like, who is funding these studies? And what findings help those people funding the studies? And that is a giant part of not just science, but academia, right? It's it's like if, if to have your boss come to you and say, hey, man, if you start pursuing this thing, your, your career's done. That's happening professors all over the place. If they don't, they don't put this certain agenda in their teachings, there's no place for them on campus. And we see that happen all the time. And I, for that, I, I really got to tell you, man, I, I am so honored to have you on the show and thank you for coming on here. And I, you know, thank, I have you, a- thank you very much. And, and, and you know what it, there was a time when it was dark. It was really dark because there's nothing you can do. What people need to understand out there when they say, oh, we look, we Googled this guy and you, there's nothing you can do about Google. If you go to Wikipedia, you can't, I can't edit it to, to make it factually correct. I'm blocked from editing what they say about me on Wikipedia. So you've got to, one has just got to move on, get over that. And one one thing I realized that made my journey much, much easier is that it's not about me. They make it look like it's about me. They make me out to be this villain. They destroy my career. But it's not about me at all. It's about something far more important. It's like the mafia assassinating you and saying, hey, listen, it's nothing personal. You know, you just do it. You're getting in the way of what we're trying to achieve here. And that's what it is. You're threatening their bottom line. When you threaten the bottom line of the pharmaceutical companies, there is no price you won't pay. So if people want to come to their own conclusions based on Wikipedia, okay, that's fine. But don't feel, you know, thank you for your comments. But for me, it's been a privilege to do this. I had to, I had to make a choice. Years ago, I had the choice to make. Do I work for the drug companies and the public health policymakers or do I work for that little kid sitting across the table from me whose life has been taken away from him, destroyed. That was an easy one. That's, I work for that child. And it's unambiguous, unequivocal. There's no, there's no ambiguity about it. That's what I do. And so that's, it's been a privilege to do it. And what happened over the years is because of the position I 
take and a lot of people came to me from industry or from government agencies responsible for vaccine safety monitoring like the cdc like the fda and they said well we can trust you we have done something really really bad and here's the evidence and hand over this extraordinary evidence so at the end of all of this when my career finally came to an end in medicine i had this these extraordinary stories and i thought okay i am now going to become a filmmaker i'm going to turn these stories into movies i'm going to become your worst enemy i'm going to make you accountable in the public eye and that's what i did and i now i've made three movies just about to start the fourth i love what i do and that's what i do i expose the wrongdoing the truth what they've actually done and it i just deliver facts i don't do, deal with conspiracy theory i deal with facts and i present the public with the facts and i've never been sued because they can't sue me because they are terrified of further discovery because they know it's true today's episode is brought to you by our good friends at athletic greens the most comprehensive daily nutritional beverage i've ever tried okay with so many stressors in life it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our body the nutrition nutrients it needs to thrive okay busy schedule poor sleep exercise stress or simply not eating enough of the right foods okay this is where athletic greens can help okay their daily all-in-one superfood powder is your nutritional essentials okay it is by far the easiest most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your health routine today and empower you to take over your health okay own your health ownership of your health that's what we're talking about i can't recommend this enough to friends or family okay one tasty scoop of athletic greens contains 75 vitamins minerals and whole food source ingredients including a multivitamin multi-mineral probiotic green foods blend and more that all work together to fill in the gaps in your diet, okay? Increase your energy and your focus, aid with digestion, and supports a healthy immune system. All without having to take multiple vitamins, multiple products, okay? So this is what what's going on right now, dude, okay? Right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system during these spring months, okay? They are offering my audience free one-year Supply of vitamin D and five free travel packets with your first purchase. If you visit my link today, you're basically never have to buy vitamin D again. Okay. I just tell all my friends, all my family, I drink this every day, every morning, kickstarts it my day, getting my multi, uh, my nutritional greens and getting my multivitamin, multimillionaire, probiotic, superfood to kick off the day. All right. I tell all my family and friends to do it. So this is what I need you to do. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash tinfoil and join health experts, athletes, conspiracy podcasters, and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash tinfoil and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packets today. Well, I appreciate the work you do and, uh, you know, and you, it's a dangerous game and I, and I hope you're safe. And because I, I, the, the fact that people, the, the thing that's so sad is like with the internet, information is available more than ever. And yes, on Google, we are seeing a giant manipulation of the truth right here, but 
whether it's on YouTube or or where this show resides, Rockfin or all these alternative sites, the information is there. The information of what is happening is there. And 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 the history of these pharmaceutical companies being sued constantly for what they've done to people, the history of pharmaceuticals, the dark arts that are involved in pharmaceuticals. And like, if I told you that, hey, these uh, drug cartels are, are, if you get in their way, they'll whack you. They'll take you right out. Kind of like you said earlier, everyone's like, yeah, dude, they're brutal. They're, they're violent. They don't care. I go, then why wouldn't a legal cartel do the same thing with profits? Why is it that when people have a, a, a lab coat on, suddenly the drugs they're pushing is any safer? I mean, the only thing that matters, sadly, sadly, is profits. And it's really sad that nobody realizes what is being done. And I don't know what happened in the last, like, I'd say 10 years, but this push to, like, not protect children is just unbelievable to me across the board, Uh, whether it's spiritually, culturally, physically, it's just, it just seems like we're just, we're just throwing children out for profits right now. And it's, 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 it's maddening as somebody who brought children into the world recently and is dealing with this society, what's going on in society right now. I want, what I want to talk to you about is the history of pharmaceuticals. Do you have any thoughts on that? where it's come from, who's involved with it and, and how that kind of plays out and what's happening today. I think, well, there's no, there's no question. There's no ambiguity. You know, the, the current pharmacological model of medicine, we will treat things with drugs and we'll treat the side effects of those drugs with more drugs and we'll charge you a lot of money and we will control because we can. Um, what happened, this came about because of the Rockefellers. They, you know, they took over medical training in America and that became the dominant force. And there's no, you know, this, this isn't a conspiracy theory. It's just a simple fact. They controlled medical education. Medical, uh, medical education is now controlled largely by pharmaceutical companies. And the initiative is behind developing more drugs, uh, making more money, making people dependent on um, the pharmacology that, that, that they've generated. And it's, it's an absolute disaster. It squanders the greatest resource we have, and that is the body's innate ability to heal itself. And coming back to that point you made about the what don't people get about the drug companies, here's a little story for you that just captures it perfectly. This is a story about Merck, major American drug manufacturer, vaccine manufacturer as well. And they made a drug called Biox, which was an anti-inflammatory medication And when they came to license it with the FDA, they withheld the fact that they knew it was causing heart attacks and strokes in people. They withheld that information deliberately. Then there were doctors who started to point out the hazards of Biox. And in the Australian litigation that ultimately took place where Merck was sued for the some 500,000 people it was estimated died from heart attacks and strokes from that drug, Merck knowing that it was causing those problems. There were a series of internal documents from Merck that were brought to light in the Australian courts. And it was about, we need to 
isolate these doctors who criticize this drug. We need to uh, we need to compromise their careers. And then the last thing that was read out, the last internal email from one Merck executive to another said, we may have to seek them out and destroy them where they live. So that is corporate policy. That's what it said. That is the mindset of a major pharmaceutical company. And they are all the same, believe me. And we only need to look at the opioid crisis in the United States of America to realize that that is the case. So if anyone has any doubts about who they're dealing with, please just wake up. I mean, if we just even, I mean, we're in this country, we have this push for to eliminate college debt. Now, ultimately, I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I, I don't. But nobody's talking about eliminating the debt that our doctors take in when they graduate from med school. And to me, that debt is purposely done to control people the minute they step out of college or med school. So now you're walking out with $300,000 in debt, $500,000 in debt, and they want their money, man. There is not a lot of options out there because when you have that much debt and they want their money quickly, you got to get a job quick. It's very hard to start your own practice when you're that deep into debt. And when you're at their jobs and their facilities, you better do what they tell you to do. They're making it so it's so hard to become a doctor that people who want to be a doctor are now just going to Wall Street and trying to make money in that. And what they're now trying to do is push that nurses will take care of you and diagnose you by by going to a computer and putting in symptoms, blah, blah, blah. And this computer will push out what medication you need. And that has eliminated any kind of human experience, any kind of uh, uh, education from the decision of what you are going to put in your body. This is now just a pharmaceutical company giving you your drugs. And to me, that is super duper dangerous. Very dangerous. Medicine is about being with a patient, laying your hands on a patient. We used to say during my years of training, if in doubt, examine the patient. You know, it was a slightly tongue-in-cheek, but that's what it was. You, that's where the clues as to where the origin of their disease comes from. How can you possibly make a diagnosis on a patient by computer? It, it, it's it, it's fraught with hazard. It really is. Um, yeah, I, I have grave, grave misgivings. And one thing that you, your point about debt to, to doctors is absolutely right. And what we... I had a pediatrician recently who testified before the state legislature as to he, why he'd given up vaccinating his, you know, his children in his practice. He said, when I did that, I lost $700,000 a year in income. That was the bonus that he made from meeting vaccine targets. There's the incentive. So if you're looking to pay off that huge medical school debt, who is going to turn down $700,000 a year? So when your doctors, you know, have no answer to the question about why your child was going to get hepatitis B vaccine on day one of life, there was the answer. They had to meet vaccine targets to make the money. 
And it's so funny when we talk about that with law enforcement and tickets, everybody loses their skull. Oh, you can't, you you can't have a minimum requirement of uh, tickets given out. That's illegal. But when you talk about this with vaccines, people don't want to hear about it. People just don't want to hear about it. And it just blows my mind because it's so important to what we do. And just the, the entire just misinformation campaign about what's going on with this vaccine and all that stuff. And what what this new vaccine represents, they're talking DNA splicing and all that stuff. But it, it, it the notion, like when I, I mean, I'm 48 years old. the The amount of vaccines I took when I was really young, I think I took three. Now it's like, what is it up to? Like, it seems like 15. I was 72 doses by the time you graduate high school. 72, 72 doses. It's it's unbelievable. And that's without COVID. That's without COVID vaccine, 72 Hey, everybody, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, TebowBodyWear.com. That's Tebow Underwear. That's right. Go to TebowBodyWear.com. Use the promo code TINFOIL, okay? Their underwear is awesome. I have it on right now. That's how much I love it. Okay, their underwear was developed and tested by 400,000 men. Okay, Tebow Underwear is developed by a community of customers to improve previous versions and develop new versions that are through their online platform. Okay, Tebow Underwear is extremely soft and trust me, it is comfortable, well cut for the most flattering look. Yeah, man, your junk is going to look power huge and we could all use that here. My proud six inches never look better. This is because so many customers gave their opinion to make them better than ever. Okay, Tebow on. Tebow is a leader in community-led production of their men's underwear, and they're leading the movement to have this as the future of all clothing production, okay? Tebow is pronounced Tebow, just like Jason Tebow, okay? If you love Jason Tebow, you're going to love this underwear, okay? Tebow underwear offers a superior cut bamboo material that is softer and more durable than your average underwear. Uh, additionally, a cool fact, bamboo uses 20 times less water and cotton fiber, which makes it contributes to sustaining the environment, okay? Dude, a lot of great stuff. So here's what Tebow's offering, okay? Get 20% off your next purchase at tbobodywear.com. That's T-B-O-Bodywear.com and use the promo code TIN. Foil, okay, that's T-B-O, T-B-O, bodywear.com, promo code TINFOIL. I mean, I don't know how conspiratorial you want to get, but, like, if you just even look at the history of the pharmaceutical companies, like World War One, a lot of that was about trying to get the pharmaceutical companies out of Germany because they were competing with the British pharmaceutical companies, and they didn't want that to get it out of Germany and over to the United States, and then just who's involved with all that stuff and the amount of money being made. And it's just unbelievable to me how like, I mean, people think that the, the mean drug dealers are the ones on the corner, man. It's the ones in the boardroom that are causing yeah. so much chaos. Yeah, well, the big boost for the pharmaceutical companies in terms of vaccines and this is the subject of our latest movie, 1986, The Act, came about in 1986 when the Reagan government signed a bill, the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, which took away liability 
for death and damage caused by vaccines, childhood vaccines recommended on the, on the CDC schedule. So beyond that point, what you've got a, a picture is they have a mandatory market. Kids have got to get vaccinated to go to school and they've got no liability, no downside. All they can do is make a massive profit. And that's what they did. And when they realized that they could make, all they could do was profit with a perfect business model, they expanded the vaccine program dramatically. So it went from what you had to what it is today, 72 doses by the age of 18. And they just made a fortune. And the danger is with that is making a fortune made them very, very powerful. And at that stage, they bought the media, they bought politicians, they bought policy, they wrote policy, they bought medical training, they bought the regulators, they bought the FDA, they bought the CDC, they owned everything. The one thing they don't own are the hearts and minds of the American people, and that's what they must never come to own. And that's why shows like yours are so important. So the message has got to get out there because people at the moment are experimental subjects they're guinea pigs in a huge experiment and they don't realize it they're just so frightened they've been coerced into believing that tony fauci and the cdc are there for their good and will make it all right no they will not we're looking at jurassic park that's just about to escape the island i'm afraid and it's very interesting because you know what we saw, like with the George Bush administration with war, we saw these neocons and they became known as war criminals, even though they're allowed to walk freely. Dr. Fauci has been involved in some just war crimes against humanity. And, uh, you know, I mean, I don't want to be crude or anything, but I've been told he's been referred to as the Hitler of AIDS, where it's just like his role in the, the the drug used for the AIDS virus led to so many deaths because they had AZT. They, it was originally a cancer. It was a, a drug to, to battle cancer, but it was so toxic that it was it was actually doing way more damage than any good. So they had to shelf it. So that they had this drug that they spent all this money on just sitting on the shelf. So they had to figure out a way to 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 induce it back, introduce it back into society. And based on all of the the um, you know, uh, based on all of the research done by many different doctors, that wasn't the drug to use. But that's what Doctor Fauci wanted, and he actually did. To some doctors, what he did, what was done to you, which he demonized them, got them thrown in jail, uh, tried to sue them. And we lost so many people that we love because of that. Have you heard of that, that, that belief? Yeah, on- many, many, many of the early deaths from, uh, from the so-called AIDS epidemic were caused by high-dose AZT. I mean, it was the, the basis of, of the movie, The Dallas Buyers Club, in many ways, and that came about because they used indiscriminately large doses, which caused major, major complications, major immunodeficiency. And now mortality from AIDS, from HIV infection has, is gone. You don't hear about it. It's gone. And that's largely, I think, because they've clearly improved the medication. But a large part of that improvement has been to dramatically reduce the doses of toxic drugs like AZT certainly hasn't come about because any successful vaccine has been produced. So 
I think Fauci has a number of things to be that he's answerable for. And one is why would you withhold known life-saving therapies like ivermectin and, and hydroxychloroquine from people in favor of a vaccine and vaccine-only agenda? That is manslaughter at the very least. Uh, and and un, un, absolutely unacceptable. And the problem is that the reason that it's done that you can't get an emergency use, use authorization for a vaccine, which is what they got, if you have a drug which is an, effect, an effective therapeutic. And so they couldn't acknowledge that ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine were effective therapeutics because that would have got in the way of their emergency use authorization for the vaccine. And that's a disgrace. This is lobbying by the pharmaceutical companies to the max to push their own agenda, and people are dying as a consequence. So, and the, the Fauci's role in the origins of this, I saw Rand Paul grilling him the other day at a Senate committee hearing, and um, he denied being involved in deliberately mutating the coronaviruses and gain-of-function studies in Wuhan, funded by the NIH. And then he, in the next breath, he said, let me tell you, uh, Dr. Paul, why we had to do that work. In other words, he's admitting they did it. And I, it was astonishing. Anyway, uh, there are a lot, of, a lot of questions that need to be answered by Dr. Fauci. And there's so, I mean, like, obviously you understand vaccines and, and their thing, but so much of this stuff is like uh, event 201, uh, this kind of role-playing stuff that they're doing scenarios on how this would be rolled out and stuff like that. And Bill Gates's role in all that. What is your take on Bill Gates, what he represents, what he's trying to pass himself off as and, uh, and what, who he really is? I mean, it's astonishing to me that a man with no qualifications whatsoever should be in charge of global health policy and individual health choice. I, Bill Gates has actually referred to me on television as a child killer, so I, <laughs> I have a particular jaundiced oh view of Bill Gates. But I think he's an extraordinarily dangerous man. Um, he's the kind of person you would write movies about and people would say, well, fortunately, that can't happen in real life. And here he's Alex, he's trying life. to be a Lex Luthor. It, it, it really does remind me of that kind of evil giant at the top of the mountain in his lair, raining pain and suffering down on mankind. Well, one thing that I've got a question, Sam, and that is, why is it? Why is it that Hollywood is so seemingly misaligned on this issue? Why have you been ostracized for actually having the concerns you do what what is the mindset of hollywood well you know it's it's to me it's just it's a combination of conformist uh you know it, it, in a weird way it, you know I, and i don't want to do disservice to your story because it is quite sad uh i mean it's i I'm, it angers me man um but it like to make it in hollywood there's so many levels that you have to get a green light on. And if you just get one level where you just catch somebody who sees politically different than you, you could get a red light and they'll be like, no, I don't want to work. And then you, you never work. And you see a lot of that. And on top of that, there are a lot of people who want to portray themselves as outsiders, as, 
as punk rockers and all this stuff. In reality, they, you know, they all went to the same schools and they're all friends. And and it's very easy to push a narrative when everybody's going, yeah, 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 right. Isn't that great? But how much of it will actually affect you? And that's my whole thing. That's why they're pushing kind of this crazy politics on everybody because they're from a level that is above the fray in my, in my honest opinion. So it's a combination of conformatism. It's a combination of not wanting to get somebody to say, no, you can't be on the show. And it's a little bit of being above the fray. And, you know, I've been talking a lot about this on the show. We are, you know, this, whatever you want to say about COVID and all that stuff. One thing it has done is it's really allowed you to know who walks the walk and who talks the talk. Right. Like, I mean, you find out who's really, who's really about like truth to power and who's just playing a role in the game. And you see that, like how many of our entertainers have, we're all raging against the machine. And then when this stuff hits, they were just, you know, stepping in the line and following the rules and pushing, you know, the authority uh, line. I saw so, that email from Eric Clapton just, just today. That's fascinating. I don't know whether you saw that. And he got the vaccine. He got the COVID vaccine. And he said, the worst thing I ever did. He said, I've now got a peripheral neuropathy. He said, my, you know, tingling in my fingers. He said, I've lost the use. I said, I wonder if I'll ever play the guitar. And he said, I just shouldn't have touched that vaccine. And he, 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 he was that kind of thing. He, could, he conformed. There is a guy who's ostensibly, you know, he's ex-alcoholic, ex-drug addict, recovered with a lot of help very honest about it and then he does that and he and he's he lives to regret it he's thinking why did i do that now i've got some complication that means i may not do the thing that i really love above other th- all other things and i just and i see stories like this every single day about the complications um the sheer number of deaths occurring on the vaccine adverse events reporting system you know of 5000 deaths from these vaccines, it far exceeds all of the deaths we've seen from every other vaccine added together over the 20 years, 30 years that this vaccine adverse events reporting system has been there. It's been a flat line like this, a, a consistent number of deaths per annum. And then suddenly, boom, it's gone through the roof with this one. If that had happened with a mainstream drug, it would have been pulled from the market right away, gone. But this has become too big to fail. So, yeah, we can accept a whole bunch of deaths because we've got and a lot invested in this vaccine. Well, I, I want to get into when did you realize something was up? I mean, we, you know, I, again, I have a conspiracy show. We talked a lot about when this thing first started, those videos from China showing people falling in the streets, either passing out or dying. And, you know, when you take a look at that, you know, some people want to be like, well, those were leaked out. But I'm like, we haven't seen anything like that anywhere no. in the year that we've no. been affected. So what does those videos represent? And for me, it was like the beginning of of what what I call, you know, uh, we, we talk about uh, uh, abundance versus scarcity and how uh, the powers that be leverage death against the scarcity of life. Right. Oh, if you don't do this, you're going to die and you only have so many days alive. You better do this because you want to keep you got to enjoy every day you can because you only have one run at this. And that's a whole different discussion. But, you know, when you show those videos 
and people are falling on the ground. Did did you see those videos? And what did you think about that when you saw that happen? I, I just thought, really, for a coronavirus, for a common cold, but I don't think so. I mean, no, I, you know, that, I just, I, yeah, I know. I, I, the first, I was, when I was in London, I was working with a guy who used to be uh, a hacker, an Uber hacker at MI5, the British Secret Service. He was, he was like that fat guy in uh, Jurassic Park who sits there and fiddles on the computer and brings the whole security system down, you know. And he was, he could hack into anything at any time, any place, okay? And he left the service and he had a minder. And the minder knows your signature and how you get into things and follows you and keeps an eye on you, okay? He came into work one day and he said, you know that virus that's come from the Far East? He said SARS, whatever it is. He said that occurred, that was a, 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 an earthquake in central China, damaged a bioweapons facility, and that virus leaked out. Uh, and he had no reason to tell me this. It's not what the work we were doing had nothing to do with it at all. It was just he was hacking away and looking at things he shouldn't have been looking at. Anyway, his minder then called him and said, you will forget everything you just saw and never mention it again. And so there was, so when this one came out, when the, the COVID-19 pandemic broke, I thought, okay, here we go again, same Chinese story. And then they'd come out with this blarney about it coming from a, a market just down the road from the bioweapons facility. No, really? Oh, really? Oh, that's, that's an interesting story. No, I don't believe that. And so I'm afraid I've become, it, when did I first start to see the way things really were? I think the response of my colleagues, that's what really shocked me. When the dean said to me, you've got to stop this work or it's not going to be good for your career. And the problem with me as a surgeon, it kind of made me want to do it twice as hard. I came to medicine to care for them, not for, you know, don't threaten me. And I, okay, you know, maybe that was a little, <laughs> that's the way it was. And then my other colleagues saying, we can't be seen to question the safety of MMR as pediatricians. You're precisely the people who should be seen to question the safety of MMR. You're responsible for the well-being of these children who are getting it. So you better get it right, buddy. Anyway, so when, that, when people started doing that, then I, then I became very concerned that what I'd gone into as medicine was not what I recognized as the, you know, the happening, what was happening day to day in the hospital. How early, how early does the, what you're seeing in, in your real life versus what is being told start to differ? Was it in college? I mean, like, let's say you have this position in college and you write this paper and what is your professor going to say? What, you know, Whoever is teaching your class, what are they going to say? Is there a moment where you're like, okay, we're getting taught this, but when I study it, I think it's something else. Or was it later on when you were in work? Did you, was it when that lady came forward? Or did you ever have any kind of suspicions early on? Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll be brutally frank with you here. When I was a medical student, I had a, a wonderful time. Okay, I spent my time chasing nurses and, and uh, rugby and and partying a bit no until hate, no hate. 
I better work hard and I, I graduated. But so I wasn't really thinking too hard about these things. I had other priorities at the time. No, <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with that, dude. It's out, it's out there. And then I, when I got serious, about, really serious about medicine, then I started to see the conflict. And I, saw, I, I used to teach medical students a lot. I love teaching. And I used to say to them, guys, half of what I tell you is right and half is wrong. The problem for me is that given our current state of knowledge, I don't know which half is which. And it's your job to tell me. It's your job to challenge me and question. And so don't take what I say as God's honest truth. It's what I believe to be the truth as based on, on our current state of knowledge. But you've got to go and challenge it. And I've got to allow you to challenge it without my ego getting in the way. So that's the way I, I approach things. Because I realize that science is an iterative process. We learn tomorrow what we thought we knew and were wrong about yesterday. And, and that's the way it works. And we need to understand that. We need to have the humility to understand that that's the case. So I, when I came up against the vaccine dogma, this is what, you know, we say it's safe and effective, and so therefore it's safe and effective. Well, let's get into that. So I, when the, the, the mother said MMR, measles, mumps, rubella vaccine is doing this, I thought if I'm going to challenge this vaccine, the safety of this vaccine, I need to go and study every single paper ever published on the pre-licensing studies. What was done? And when I did that, I was astonished, okay, because what I found is that the experimental subjects for the vaccine when it was first produced were children in long-term residential homes for severely physically and mentally damaged children. Oh, my Those God. were the guinea pigs. And one such example was Willowbrook State School in Staten Island, New York. That's where they tested the vaccine. There was no consent. No informed consent, nothing. The kids were could be used because, in truth, they were considered to be expendable. Oh, and that's what we're dealing with. And when I read that, I thought, oh, my God. I wasn't told that. That's not what I was told. And then they go on and they do further studies and they dismiss encephalitis and death as, oh, that's nothing to do with the vaccine. Same story you hear nowadays. And I was appalled, appalled by the safety studies. And I thought, I'm doing these guys a disservice. There must be something I'm missing. They must have done proper science, a, a double-blind, randomized control clinical trial. No, absolutely not. So coming back to hepatitis B, that your child was threatened with having on the first day of life. As a parent, how long? Would you want that vaccine to have been tested for safety before allowing your baby to have it on the first day of life? I ask parents this question in meetings, in conferences all the time. How long would you want? They said, well, we wouldn't give it anyway. And I said, OK, if you were going to give it, what, what do you think would be a reasonable length of safety study? And they say, oh, um, years, uh, a lifetime, five years, 10 years. I said, how long do you think? the vaccine was studied for safety before it was licensed to be given to day-old children. Five days. Five days. So if your baby died on day six, it was nothing to do with the vaccine. 
Was it tested in the appropriate age group before being licensed in one-day-old children? No. Oh was it tested using God. a placebo? Was it tested using a placebo, an inert placebo? No. There was no science. No science at all. And so that's why your pediatrician has no answer to your question, because they don't know. They have no idea. And when Reagan, the- when Reagan passed that law in the United States, which took away any kind of punitive lawsuits for any damage done, then it's just opened the gates of hell. And there is nothing stopping them from doing it. There's no reason for them to take any time. I mean, this thing rush. Now, I now we can get into some conspiracies talk here. You know, there's a famous speech by Muammar Gaddafi at the, you know, the UN. He talks about how there's going to be a virus. And they're going to say they just came up with this thing, this vaccine, when they've had it the whole time. And they've been preparing for this. Because, you know, I, I know this may not be the waters in which you want to dive into, but... What kind of control does this have? I mean, if this thing, if this vaccine is meant to be a gene splicer and it's meant to disable your immune system, so now you have no immunity, it's reprogram your DNA, you're going to need vaccines forever. And that could be part of the process too. And then if you don't play ball, you don't get your vaccine. Now you got to walk around in some kind of hazmat suit, something like that. Do you think that's at all a possibility? I think with viruses, anything is a possibility. One thing I've come to learn over the years, 30 years of studying principally measles virus, but respiratory RNA viruses in great detail is I have the, the utmost respect for these viruses, that we cannot manipulate them in the laboratory, exploit them, exert dominion over them and assume that we're in control, we're not. They will have the last laugh. It was that wonderful scene at the beginning of Jurassic Park. Do you remember when they're in the lab and Sam Mendes is looking at this hatching and he goes, oh my God, you've bred a velociraptor. And the... Asian scientist in the white coat, the white coat says, don't worry, they're all female, they can't reproduce. And Jeff Goldblum, this chaos theory mathematician, steps in and he says, you don't understand. Life will find a way. Yes. Life finds a way. And that's the principle, that's the basis of that. And that is life will find a way. And it may not do it immediately, but it will do it. And when it does it, it will exact a huge price. So, we have not paid these viruses due respect. Not only that we need some of them, that they're essential for our well-being and part of the virome and microbiome that is essential for our health, but that we have believed in our exquisite arrogance that we can exert dominion over them. The man in the lab can control. No, he can't. Not a hope in hell. So I have the greatest of respect for them and very, very little respect for the people who believe that they are in control of the destiny of these viruses because they are not. Now, do you you have any colleagues that at one point chastised you, uh, tried to isolate you, and then later on came to realize your position is probably correct or went through some stuff with somebody that they had treated 
and the results were disastrous. And then they came kind of to a, you know, a clarity moment. Did you, have you ever had any of that situation happen? Yes. Yes, I have for various reasons. Some, let me give you one reason. One reason we played backs and we played down Orange County. Massive audience came to watch that film. I don't know whether you remember, but it was, it got into Tribeca. Yes. It's a story of a CDC whistleblower. It then got censored by the pharmaceutical industry interests that funded Tribeca. And Robert De Niro went on the Today Show three days later. He went on Good Morning America. And he said, we should never have done that. Everybody should watch this film. And it exploded worldwide. We had, the De Niro effect was like nothing else. And we, we played in Orange County and it was just packed to the gunnels. And sitting at the front row of the movie theater, big movie theater on the right-hand side was a pediatrician. And that pediatrician had been dragged kicking and screaming by a mother of one of his patients to this movie. And at the end of the movie, he stood up and he turned to the audience and there was silence. And he said, I just want to say, I am so sorry. I can never practice medicine in the same way again. And I am, I want just want to apologize to every parent in this room of a vaccine injured child for what I've been part of. That's the kind of reaction that you see. Some people will say it privately and don't have the courage to come out. Others sadly have experienced it themselves, that they've come out and said, oh, Wakefield's untouchable, we can't go near him like I've got leprosy, and then suddenly they find themselves, their own research compromised in the same way because they've gone against the grain. And then the worst tragedy of all is where their own children have been subsequently vaccine, vaccinated and, and damaged. And those are heartbreaking because there is the terrible realisation that they, had they taken a different attitude to it, more open-minded view, they might have, might have protected their own child from damage. And is it that they don't ever see the signs of it before that happens? Or are they just, you know, I, I think we're getting into this place with science where it's almost becoming a religion in the way that religion, you didn't question the holy men of your religion before because they spoke for God. Sometimes I wonder if we're getting like that with science where you don't want to question science because science is above the fray. And even if you have, you know, suspicions, you don't want to go up against science because science is all knowing and a higher evolution of thought. Yeah. It's, it's, it's terrifying that people should believe that science is a process of asking questions. Science is not absolute. It's never in. The game is never over. You're always asking questions. You're going up a tree rather than coming down it to the trunk. And it, I was interested. I was reading a book the other day called In the Wake of the Black Death, the plague, a bubonic plague that swept Europe and, and killed a third of the population. Then they must have thought the world was really coming to an end. And in the wake of that, uh, for many reasons, the Renaissance came and Science started to assume a much more important role in people's lives. It's, it's like religion hadn't saved us, God hadn't saved us, so we need a new God. It, it, wasn't, it was a slow process, but that came in the wake of the Black Death. And we came to worship science in many cases progressively over the 
ensuing centuries more and more and more till we're at a point now where we don't question the scientists we should absolutely we should demand answers from these people and when you do you realize how shallow their knowledge really is um so particularly when our lives are at stake our well-being is at stake our health is at stake and we've got to ask what is the real agenda behind this in the first place how, uh, how, final question, how does uh, a, a Brit enjoy the chaos of Florida? Like, it seems like you're going from, you know, this like kind of very much buttoned up society to just a human safari. How is that? Well, you know, I, I, my sailing career started back in the American bicentennial year before a lot of people listening to the show were born 1976 and I sailed in the Atlantic transatlantic tall ship race in a topsail schooner called the St. Winston Churchill and I fell in love with the life and I always wanted to live on a boat and, and, I, and the value of living on a boat is that it gives you a different perspective I lived in Austin I love Austin and Austin I, li- I, I drove around and I saw the city from one perspective and then I went on a boat on the on the beautiful lakes there, and I saw a completely different city. It's like it wasn't even the same city I lived in. And I realized how I could get a different perspective on the same thing by just changing where I looked at it from. And I, so I now live on a, an antique sailboat called Freya, the Norse goddess of beauty and fecundity. And, and um, I'll be sailing to Texas on the 21st, uh, to make a new movie, actually. But I, I love it. I love it. It's kind of crazy. I mean, if I told you I loved it when I was hanging from the from the uh, from the from the davits with my arms stuck and my bicep torn in half in the middle of the night, thinking, "Is this really how it all ends on the calmest night of the year?" Oh, <laughs> really? Because the calmest oh, really? night. How embarrassing! And uh, yeah. Um, the ladder fell apart. Anyway, it's, uh, it's a long story. There are times when you have to accord the sea the greatest of respect because it, it shows no mercy. And, it's so uh, much bigger, right? It's just it so you, you much every day. So, okay, I said that was my, this is my final, final question. As a man of science, are you spiritual as well? And how does so, of, of someone who goes through so much science and like just understanding the human body, if you're spiritual, how do how do those two things mesh? I think spirituality has been my salvation. I, I'm not. I was raised in the Church of England. I rejected organized religion at quite an early age. It was austere and distant and inaccessible to me. And I went through my young medical career headlong into it, working hard. Didn't really think. But I have become more and more spiritual. Um, and it's, as I say, it's been my salvation. I meditate. I do a lot of yoga. I, my, my own religious experiences, as, as um, Eric Clapton said in that letter today in the paper, uh, you know, it's somewhat abstract, but it's, um, it's real. It's, I realize that there is, an enormous energy, all is energy, but there's a huge energy to the universe, which is perpetual and 
as a consciousness, I believe. So I, yeah, I'm becoming more enlightened um, and more spiritual as I as I get older. I am too, man. And uh, you know, there's. I talk about this all the time. I flunked first grade, man, but I've been talking to people like you and I talk to a lot of people. So I get to get a lot of knowledge in my head. And, you know, for me, man, you know, the, the, the laws of physics are amazing. Uh, but I also think sometimes they're a box that keep us to think in this kind of this right in here when there's some amazing stuff that's going on all around it that, you know, science may not be able to explain, but we feel it. We understand it. And that to me is the good stuff. And I think you need a little bit of both to really, you know, maneuver through this amazing realm that we live in. And uh, just hearing what you got to say, I totally respect and I love it. And I got to be honest with you, man, this has been an absolute honor to talk to you because you sacrifice so much for humanity. And that to me is the model of abundance and that you give it away and it costs you so much, but you seem like you're in an amazing place. And, you know, for me, man, it's just like, as a guy who did stand up, start comedy at 22 years old and didn't start really getting into a good place till 43. And I saw so many people in my line of work fly by me, start living successfully, doing all stuff. And then kind of, you know, at my age, kind of like lost in what they want to do. And I, I don't wish anything negative on anybody, but the journey is so long, you know, and, and sometimes at some points we stumble and we think the race is over, but the race is still going. And like, we might catch up to some people might just start tired up later on. And, and sometimes we get to, you know, we have a, we have a destination we want to go to where we think is over here and that's where we want to be. But the universe has another idea for us and this wonderful destinations over here. And we don't realize that we've kind of changed our path, but we're on the right path. And based on the short time I've talked to you, I think that's kind of what's going on. That you sacrifice a lot. And now you're on a different path and it's a wonderful path and you, you seem happy to me. And I think at the end of the day, that's the most important shit. And uh, I just can't thank you enough, Andy. For now, can I, I just direct your listeners to, uh, if they want, I'd love them to watch the movies. I'd love them to get educated to understand why we are where we are in the world right now. And movie is the way to do that. And and so 1986theact.com. 1986theact.com. Please go there, take a look, and uh, you will not regret it. It may save your life. I will put all the links into the show into the show notes. And uh, yeah, man, I, I honestly, man, I, I didn't know who I was talking to at first and then it clicked and man, it was a real honor to talk to you. It's a highlight, uh, the blessings of doing the show. I'd say get to talk to people like you and I don't know if there's ever a time that I could help you out, man, and you need anything, whether it's uh, exposure to my audience or connection with people to help you with your films. Cause I work with those people. I'd be honored to help you in any way I can and open door policy all the time, anytime, you need it. The door's open. Just let me know and we'll make it happen. I'll talk to you about that because the answer is may well, we may well need your help. That's what Thank we're talking so about. So final thing, is there any other places besides your movie link where you would like for them to go find you? Any social media, websites or anything? Sam, can I send you that information? I'll get that to you. Yep. No problem. No problem. I'll get my, CEO, I'll get my CEO to send all that to you and, um, I'd love to talk to you, particularly about actors. 
Yeah. Uh, we're starting to we're starting to uh, to cast some actors at the moment, and I'm sure you're in touch with some very talented people over there who are looking for work. And uh, so I'd love to give you a call. Um, how will I get in touch with you? Well, I have your email. I'm going to send you my email, and I'll I'll Perfect. include my number in there, and you can call me anytime, my friend. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Sam. Best of luck with everything. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for coming on. Thank you guys for watching. I love you guys very much. Thanks for the support. And we'll do it again soon. Take care. We go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. There's you just blew my mind. Tim foil hack, Tim foil hack.